Ah, here's here's a, a controversial one. I suppose it's sort of you know, it's different for different from most people. But if I could essentially go back in time and meet an eighteen year old me, I would tell him. Welcome to Game Dev Advice, the Game Developers Podcast, your place for resources and in depth conversations with other game development professionals. I'm your host, John J P Podlasic. I've worked at 10 different game companies, starting back in 1989 with the TurboGrafx-16. Over the decades, I've developed games like Mortal Kombat, Avengers Initiative, Beavis and Butthead, and numerous others. I now work for a startup called Level X. But this podcast isn't about me. It's about you and the game development community. So if you have questions or ideas, give a call, 224-484-7733, or go to the gamedevadvice.com. Website. So let's kick things off with the new game dev advice. Today's guest is Scott Millard, managing director of Feardemic, a video game publisher and wholly owned subsidiary of the Bloober team. Previous to this, he's held various game industry positions, including the Asian distribution of Bethesda games. Managing Director of Namco Bandai Partners Singapore and Namco Bandai Partners Korea Limited, the co-founder of a Korean Games Association, plus other roles. And as a heads up, this was recorded during the pandemic, and there are some noises at times in the background as we've all adjusted to working from home. So thanks for your patience with that. Plus a quick shout out to my good friend and listener, Matt Hale. Hey, Scott. How are you doing tonight? I'm, I'm great. Yourself? I'm doing really good. Thank you. So where are you calling in from? I'm, I'm calling in from a place in Poland called Krakow, and it's the, hmm. uh, the second largest city in Poland, uh, the capital being Warsaw. Right. And, um, you know, it, it's uh, a, a small city, a medieval city, and probably one of the most popular cities um, for tourists to come. But, of course, we haven't had many of those for the past past right. year or so yeah. but um but yet uh, I, you probably noticed by my name and by my accent that i am not polish but mm-hmm. um i am one of the many foreigners that are working uh here in uh, poland as part of the um game development industry and you know it really cool. is a, a a vibrant industry a really interesting industry here there's a lot more to it than just city project and i mean i know everyone around the world sort of thinks poland city project but, right you know yeah. there is hundreds of game development studios here you know i think last count i was reading it was about 440 um and uh studios just studios studios uh uh, you know there are a few publishers here as well as well playway um as as being one and of course ourselves uh but generally um you know there's probably about 10,000 people employed all up in the in the sector and it generates oh. around about i think i was reading a couple of weeks ago about 470 million euros uh, uh, a year in revenues for the for the country so you know the, the hmm. government here look upon it very favorably when it comes yeah. to earning taxes no that's fantastic and I, I had no idea the the industry was that big over there um Wow, ten thousand people working in the industry—that's fantastic. Yeah, it's um, really fascinating. I think one of the, the big strengths of the Polish games industry is the government has, for a very long time, taken the sector very seriously. Mm-hmm. And between themselves and um, the European Union, they've made available, um, you know, significant research and development grants and research and development investments that 
you know, game mm. studios can apply for. Right. Um, and they can apply for those funds to create new patents, to create new tools, to uh, make game development easier. Mm. And uh, as a result, um, a lot of public money has flown into this, into this sector um, and has sort of flowed into this sector for quite a while and it's sort of kind of um it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that they're, they're just training people and training people and training people those mm -hmm. um uh studios grow the, the teams break apart they go create new studios right. etc etc and they either work for higher studios or their uh, uh original content studios so um you know it's just really has become a self-fulfilling prophecy for the whole tech sector yeah. here and you know there's something sort of really creative about the polish people and there's also something that pushes them to work really hard and to to, mm -hmm. to focus on on you know a global opportunity so it's it, it's kind of weird it's like the, the, the intersection of a culture and you know a, a new technology and yeah. you know a school system that you know has really you know, you know held up mathematics as a sort of a you know as a sort of a key pillar um, mm -hmm. which is all that translated into just a whole lot of games and that's smart because to fund things and help with that infrastructure it does mushroom and grow and, and you know these are well-paying jobs and it's technology and it's the future and it's uh that's wild to hear um and being half yeah, polish that, that's that's kind of cool so uh, yeah i mean i i was really stunned i mean I, I remember a year ago i was listening to the bbc and i heard the technology minister for um or the technology affairs minister for poland talking about cd project and was saying they, they represented something like two percent of the country's gdp one company um so uh so you know yeah it is a very important sector for the government How's everything with COVID and, and how are you dealing with all those kind of things over there? Our industry has been incredibly fortunate. You know, we, we, we can't sort of um, complain too much. I mean, we've been able to work through this and um, so mm -hmm. many people haven't been able to work, work through it. Um, so many people have had to sort of endure, you know, the, the front lines of it, whether it being, yeah. you know, the, 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 the medical profession or the um, nursing profession. But we have been able to sort of, you know, keep on going. Yeah. Um, so we can't really complain. We've been very, very fortunate. It'd be wrong to say we haven't uh, been affected because, you know, certainly we are, you know, right. um, you know, working and living in the same space for 12 months or so, it has, you know, had it, had an effect on people. You know, you can see it. People are really tired of the uncertainty and really tired of, you know, the Zoom calls and, you know, not meeting face-to-face, -face, of course. But, you know, hopefully vaccination will be a sort of a path to fixing that. But um, mm -hmm. but from, from, a, from a production side of things, I mean, I think everyone's different. I mean, I know I've talked to people who've said that, you know, they've, they've really enjoyed it from a creative perspective. They've been able to focus on their 3D modelling or their uh, environment design. And, and, mm -hmm. and be able to focus on that um, without sort of having these interruptions all the time, you, like you would in a, in the office environment. Right. Yeah. Um, but but you know, I have noticed. I I don't know whether everyone else has had this sort of experience though. But uh, a few people have agreed with me here. In that last mile, where you usually are doing all your QA runs and really sort of getting everything prepped for release and going to the final master, yeah. that's when it starts all coming apart. Because mm -hmm. well, certainly has for 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 some people I've been speaking to, and and, yeah. um, uh, and and in our case, I suppose as well, it's that point in the game development cycle requires a lot of communication. It requires people to sort of understand who's checking what, who's looking at what, and um, you know, it really helps to have that face to face, or sort of that that in real life uh, contact with people. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, that, that, that quick kind of iteration where you're like, hey, what's this? What's that? Let's go fix that thing. All right, let's do a new build. And yeah, yeah. It, it's landing the plane, or as we used to say, it's coming in hot, right? So if, 
if it's coming in hot um, and, and the communication's a little bit fractured or a lot fractured because of uh, distance and, and things, yeah, that could be a little tricky, I guess. Yeah, and I think you know there's been a lot of slippage this uh, you know in the at the end of 2020 and uh, you know coming into the beginning of 2021. <laughs> so, and I think that's kind of a result of that people sort of kind of you know getting to that last sort of uh, the last few milestones and sort of suddenly realizing that you know hey this is not going to be as easy remotely as you know we thought it was going to be. So we're going to have to push the push the game back. But you know, yeah. Other than that, I mean, you know, I think it's I think it's okay. Um, I am very much looking forward to you know getting back to an office though can you tell me about your current role i look after a publisher called feardemic and uh, we are a single vertical publisher Mm -hmm. and we specialize in games that have a horror narrative i mean this is kind of um not that unusual i suppose paradox is a company that focuses on strategy and we are one that focuses on a horror narrative now Oddly, horror is not necessarily a genre. It is more of a narrative because you can find horror injected into uh, almost any genre of game. Um, you know, often sort of dare people to find me a, a genre or a game that doesn't have a horror narrative. They say sport and I say blood bowl. <laughs> um, so, uh, so anyway, and, and that thesis actually comes from um, the fact that we are a wholly owned subsidiary of a, another company that people might know called Blooper Team. And Blooper Team, of course, mm-hmm. um, Blair Witch, The Medium, uh, Layers oh. of Fear, Layers of Fear 2, uh, The Observer. So, again, a, co- a company that here in Poland is actually quite large and um, they're a listed public company here. Um, mm-hmm. They've had a, a, a long and positive experience with, you know, um, psychological horror. Now, Fiedemic, yeah. we, we we can play a little bit in the uh, in the genre. We're not as strictly um, adhering to uh, a particular style of horror. We mm-hmm. are sort of, uh, as a publisher, we are looking at trying to broaden that, have horror games that are targeted towards children or created for children, all the way through to really hardcore horror. Mm. Um, The sort of value that we're able to add to developers who are creating horror games is, you know, essentially that we have some experience with marketing these um, games and presenting these to a community. And, you know, Mm -hmm. we've started really building a community that um, we can now find games that we think that they will enjoy. And over the longer term, it will hopefully make it easier to get eyeballs on games, which is, you know, really, really tough at the moment. When I think of horror, right, Resident Evil is always the one that kind of jumps to mind. Um, and how right, and that that's was. an adventure game. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, so, 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 you know, it, it's odd because, you know, if you look at all the genres in gaming and you always have the you know, adventure game, FPS, and, um, mm. sport, racing, uh, there's no horror. Um, and if, but if you look at movies, of course, there is a horror genre. Yeah. Um, so it is a genre, but in games, it's more of a narrative. So, so at present, we've got about six different IPs. I mean, you know, Fidemic's not a, not a, old company it's a fairly new idea it's only been sort of coagulating for the last or percolating for the last um, two years now mm-hmm. and um we've got our six different games the last one we did with a uh, developer from california called uh, unfold games and that was dark complete edition okay. um we've, we've, we've launched that across all of the current gen platforms ps5 series x uh switch ps4 oh. uh, xbox one account so that that has done very well for us in the first quarter and um you know uh, cool. Getting games out on those platforms was was really quite satisfying for us, um, and we've got quite a few 
in the pipeline. So we're, we're, mm-hmm. we're really excited to announce a couple. We're announcing one today, actually, um, uh, that we've just signed, a game called Dark Fracture, which we're really oh, excited. Wow. No, that's fantastic. Yeah, it, it's a really robust robust narrative in gaming and i mean it, you know it, it's probably about i mean we've looked at how to sort of you know tease out the numbers for um uh for you know games that have horror in the narrative and it's mm-hmm. almost about 20 percent if you look at, across the board um at all games you could all about 20 percent of them you can absolutely clearly identify them as having some type of horror um uh, yeah. or disturbing thread that goes through them um so so yeah it, it, it doesn't restrict us at all. Mm-hmm. So how'd you get started in the game industry and, and how'd you get over to Poland? Um, <laughs> Two questions. You, how many hours do you have? <laughs> you know? uh, so so I, I have been in the games industry a very, very long time. And actually, strangely enough, I, I got to uh, games via music. I started working mm. for a company called Warner Music. And, um, oh, yeah. um, you know, I, I, the music was really my first love, my first passion. And uh, I was you know, heading up sales in um, Sydney, Australia. And at that particular point in time, um, there was another co- company called Sega, which were yep. just starting to sell some of the big game, big music retailers. And um, one thing led to another. And uh, after a trip around, around the world, I came back and um, I, you know, fell into working with Sega because I, I obviously knew a lot of their a lot of the new customers that they wanted to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, so that's how I got started in gaming. And and from there When was this? Like early nineties, mid nineties? Yeah, it would have been it was it was in the nineties. It was in the sort of you know early to mid nineties. And okay. um, you know, I, I oddly, I mean Sega was then which was called Sega Aussie Soft actually in Australia, it was then purchased by Infograms, who then mm, the changed Armadillo. their names. Yep, who then changed their name to Atari and uh, <laughs> then was then sold to Nemco Bandai and I was there for the whole whole thing. So, hmm. um, so yeah, it was a, a very, very, um, uh, you know, I've been in the games industry a long time and, um, you know, I, I've, I've almost spent my entire life selling some type of media or involved with some type of media, uh-huh. um, whether it be games or music. So I've never done anything else. So looking back now, like... Um what do you wish you had known when you'd started? Ah, here's here's a, a, a controversial one. I suppose it's sort of okay. You know, it's different for different for most people. But if I had, could essentially go back in time and meet an eighteen year old me, I mm-hmm. would tell him, "Do not work for large companies. They are traps." <laughs> so um, you know, and it's yeah. it's kind of really true. Um, I know a lot of people who work for Microsoft and Sony probably don't want to hear this. But, mm-hmm. you, know, the, you know, you fool yourself into sort of thinking to yourself that, um, you know, hey, I'm, I'm working for these big companies who are doing big business in this sector. I'm going to learn a lot. But really the only thing you learn is dependency. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I spent decades, uh, well, over a decade working for big public companies. And, yeah. I mean, look, it's easy to get trapped there. And, uh, and you know, oddly, until you leave them, you don't really realize that you don't learn a lot of things when you're there you essentially go through the whole you know you 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 get promoted you do all these things you move departments from marketing to the c-suite or, mm-hmm. um, but your, your job description is really tiny and you can lose so much time and look it's great flying around the world to meetings and having a nice office and you know a, 
a, a logo yeah. on a card that that everyone goes wow but um and and that that's the trap that yeah. is the trap you know I would recommend to a younger person now and a younger me to just find your own way do what you want to do and focus on building um, something that you want to build rather than doing it for somebody else. Mm-hmm. So, so that's the, that's the kind of advice that I would give to people. I, I don't think that there is anything but dependency when it comes to working for a larger, larger company. It's changed a lot in the sense it, it used to be very gated and, and it had to be like, if you wanted to get a game out, it had to go in a box and you had to, had to have to go through the big publisher and you had, they had to pay for the end cap or otherwise you didn't get the marketing. And it's now been so much more democratized with so many other avenues and ways of doing things. It's not that kind of rigid model that it was back in the early 90s, I think. Yeah, that, that, there's a lot of truth to that. And, and, and I suppose every piece of advice sort of comes with a, um, a disclaimer about depending on when, what, you know, timing is everything, right? So, mm-hmm. um, so, so now that piece of advice might be, it might be a lot easier to sort of imagine. But, um, yeah. um, but uh, back, back in the day, you're right. I mean, it was pretty much, um, uh, there was a huge barrier to entry. Um, there was no indie games at all. And yeah. Everything was like either AAA single a double a or b (laughs) (laughs) um you know it was categorized in this sort of funny way and uh, and when i first went to to sega you know it was everyone was wearing a tie and and a suit it was really really um it was the it business uh so Mm -hmm. so so, yeah it was it was a very very different time but i still kind of I, i still think that you know if i went back there and had that opportunity to talk to myself i would say don't do this Mm-hmm. Do, don't do this you know <laughs> you're you you you're, you're you know too much time will disappear and, and, and time when you're young you sort of think oh i've got heaps of it you know but yeah. uh, that that's that's kind of a falsity i was at nec which had the turbo graphics division and you know a big giant global cor- uh, corporation and uh yeah i had to wear a tie four days a week uh we had casual fridays back when that was a thing but, <laughs> so you were at sega wearing a tie and i was at nec wearing a tie and that was just the way it was which is kind of crazy when you think back to that yeah Um, yeah what about advice for trying to uh you know advance your career and and you're a managing director right now right so what kind of thoughts do you have for somebody in the industry right now wanting to keep progressing and moving forward and and maybe focusing on the publishing side i i think the number one piece of advice that the the best piece of advice that i've ever heard uh, that anyone's ever given me is the most important thing that you can do and you can get good at is finding access to capital that is the Mm -hmm. uh, the major difference between a company that is successful and a company that's not successful so you've got to find partners you've got to find business partners um, investors that are able to sort of give you the freedom to focus on um, you know the thing that you do best now I, I see that from a lot of developers all the time they have this dream to make a game it, it is a, it is a really credible dream they've got a really great idea mm-hmm. but they don't have the capital to make to make that a reality right. on the other hand you see you see it all the time. You see some really kind of mediocre ideas, but they have access to capital so they can make it work. They can push it through. They can mm-hmm. iterate it and keep on iterating it until it works. Yeah. Um, so, so this is the, this is the, the, the trick. And, um, you know, I, I wish I could 
tell you that there was some type of formula to finding that access to capital. But that access to capital really is, you know, some people can't never can never find it their entire life. But others sort of stumble upon it, mm-hmm. and it's it's either a high net worth individual, it's um, you know some luck with an earlier investment, or you know your first investment pays out, so suddenly you 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 have your own access to capital. Um, right. But this is kind of the most important thing, um, you know, and a, a lot of games. You know, start up because they've been able to mortgage the house, or you know, go to oh, an uncle yeah. who's able to get their get their first lump friends of capital, and family, so yeah. friends and family, and and push that capital into um, into the creation of the game. Because you know, you go to a publisher and say, I mean, a lot of people think, well, you know, I just need to find a publisher and they will pay for everything, and mm. not really. That's not really how yeah. it kind of works. It's it you know, especially these days. Um, you know, if it's a big publisher and that publisher has got a lot of money, if you've got a good idea, their number one priority is buying that idea and buying you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the, you know, they, they own you, um, which right. I suppose is, is, is an okay outcome. But if you don't want that to happen, you know, the, the, the second tier of publishers, the smaller publishers like ourselves, um, you know, we're, we're, we're looking for, you know, really sort of um, creative guys that have already, I suppose, got something that is playable. And yeah. to have something that's playable, whether it be a vertical slice or, slice, right. or, or, or whatever, they've had to spend some money and time on it. Uh, then the second part of that is like, have they been able to energize a community? Have they been able to, you know, um, get yeah. players interested or engage with what it is they're doing via community, um, via the Discord channels, etc.? And all that takes some type of investment. Yeah. Um, you know, and and that money's got to come somewhere. So again, mm-hmm. I mean, going back to that key piece of advice is find access to capital. I mean, yeah. no matter, I mean, no matter who it is, rich right. uncle, um, you know, someone you've worked with or someone you, you you've met, um, keep looking for it. And no matter how big you get, I mean, even if your company's turning over twenty million. That's nothing. Mm. I mean, it's still still tiny, right? Yeah, um, yeah. You know, for you to do your next project, you're still going to need access to capital. So again, be out there pitching, looking all the time, mm. uh, um, and you know, always have your, um, your your deck ready to go uh, in your briefcase if you you come across somebody who think you think may be able to help you with it. So you know, as a publisher, like, what are you looking for in a game or, or in a pitch or that kind of thing? You know, I get that question all the time from developers. You know, what, what is it that's going to make you say yes and invest in our game? And, mm-hmm. and really, there is no, um, you know, formula. Um, if there was a formula, EA would have worked it out and there would be no uh, <laughs> games industry and it would just be EA. Um, uh-huh. But um, essentially, the, what we're looking for is the people. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I've, I, I have made some errors in errors in the past and sort of gone with, you know, well, they're just here, we'll, we'll just go with that. I'm sure we'll be able to beat it into shape later. But, um, you know, the, the reality is the thing is you're looking for people who are able to plan out a game. So the game development document is really, really important. That's the first place you'll get some insight into what the developers are thinking, how are they working, who um, who of the small team is in charge and who's doing what, who's thinking about the big picture. Um, yeah. So that's really, really important. And also the second is, is finding a human connection with them. And again, I mean, I suppose it's like building a studio. Um, uh, the founder of uh, Blue Team, Peter Babiano, told me, um, you know, I was, I was telling him, well, perhaps we can build our own studio. He says, Scott, yeah, it's really hard. You know, 
it's, yeah. it's yeah. not that easy. And that's why they're worth so much money uh, mm. as an acquisition because to get the team working together in a really creative right. sort of good flow is difficult. Mm. So when you're looking at a um, smaller project or an indie project, maybe their first game, maybe their second game, you're looking for sort of hints that this team are going to be able to pull it off over the next two years um, and that, you know, you are going to be able to add some value to that and they're going to be able to accept that value. So mm-hmm. it, it is, it's not a mathematical formula. It's not, you know, obviously there's skills involved. If they've been able to create a fantastic vertical slice or a fantastic demo, that gives you, again, that 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 hint that yeah. it's, yeah, it could work. This is going to work. Yeah. Um, but there's still more to it than that. You know, it's mm-hmm. very much uh, a case of, you know, looking and, and, you know, meeting these people, talking to these people, trying to work out, okay, if I put all my money on the table here, um, we have right. got a good chance of getting to the end because a lot of stuff can happen in two right, years, yeah. especially when you have a small team with four or five people that, you know, are all having different issues uh, in their life, you know, paying bills and doing that and, yeah. you know, thinking about working for a big company and, uh, yeah. you know, a lot of things can happen. Um, right. So, you know, there's a big danger that, I mean, I've spoken to other indie publishers as well and, you know, it's, it's often talked about sort of like the amount of games that you announce that you don't actually deliver because the uh, dev team implodes halfway through the development. Yeah, to, to get- Get everybody firing on all cylinders and everything working. It's it's uh it's tough to orchestrate, right? Because there's so many inputs, there's so many variabilities with, with people and design and pandemic. Now, I, I mean, it's just so much so much stuff going on. And and you talk about the people too. Like, are you looking for people with like a proven track record, or just people with a good documentation and a good pitch, and, and that you get a good kind of gut reaction, um, you know, when they come to you. Hey, hope you're enjoying the show. If you are, please go to patreon.com backslash game dev advice. We'd love to see if you can support the show and help uh, new episodes keep coming out. That's patreon.com backslash game dev advice. Thanks. Track record's not necessarily always an indicator of, um, you know, um, what's to come. I mean, I, I, I think, you know, if you look at our industry especially you can find a lot of developers that came, <laughs> yeah well yeah i mean yeah, you know, right. uh, that, that came out of you know shops like blizzard or, or you know epic for example that found huge amounts of capital from um you know investors in korea and asia to build set up their own studios and deliver these games that haven't been able yeah. to sort of get it get it to work so right. you know track records not necessarily everything um <laughs> you know Oddly enough, I mean, you know, again, I was, I was speaking to another publisher about this and, you know, he was saying, yeah, you know, I, I have this one team that, um, you know, they are really experienced. They've delivered some huge, huge AAA hits. But you know what? They have, I'm struggling to get them wish lists. Then on the other hand, I've got these guys that are still in game school that have been, you know, got this platform that is being funded by, um, you know, the school that they right, go university. to. Yeah. And they've got, you know, 20,000 wish lists and, you know, their their uh, uh, Discord channels are on fire or their Facebook pages are on fire. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, so it, it's, it's kind of really strange that, you know, it's not necessarily, yeah. you know, um, that track record that gets you gets you anywhere. But, you know, I think like a lot of independent publishers, what we're looking for is something that's already, a spark that's already ignited that mm-hmm. we can build upon. 
Right. If, there's, if that spark is not there, if that magic is not there, if that sort of human touch is not there, if they haven't been able to engage with communities, it's going to be a really uphill battle mm-hmm. trying to um, make that happen. You know, yeah. Because the only way you can make that happen is by throwing money at it, mm-hmm. and you know you can just throw money at these things, but the you know game the seeds the, not the, there. Yeah. The seeds yeah. not there. You know, yeah. really, it, it, it's very very difficult to ignite. And you're right too. Like uh, uh, wish lists and social media and all those kind of things. Like there's so many games out there, and there's just so many things competing for people's eyeballs that you got to have some kind of momentum going already versus just trying to build it from scratch and just showing up with a 400 page GDD and be like, give us money to make this thing. Um, not that people even do that anymore with 400 page GDDs, but yeah. Yeah, I, I know. I mean, everyone sort of says, ah, you know, too long didn't read, <laughs> but, right. but I read them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, you know, so because I mean, you know, look, at the end of the day, it, it's not cheap to make a game. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of this sort of like, well, you know, we'll work it out, we'll, we'll work it out as we go um, strategy because it's not a good way to invest money on a sort of a wing and a prayer. You know, right. you really need to see, well, what is it that you're trying to achieve here and, um, mm. you know, what is the story? Because people actually care about stories and games are a great medium to tell a story. Uh, you need to kind of know what that is and know where you're going with it, what the, uh, uh, you know, what the sort of value proposition is for the user. Um, you know, mm-hmm. these things are really important, you know, as well as, you know, how many, how many programming hours you're going to need to, to actually execute this, how many people you're going to need for QA, how many languages you're going to target. Um, right. you know, yeah. Understand what it is that you're doing and have a sort of a, a, a good understanding of, you know, what it is you need to do it. Um, and then, you know, we can come along and help that whole yeah. process and really sort of supercharge it. Right. Having a baseline gameplay, right? You know, you, know, you got to have a game plan and granted it's going to change and evolve, but there's got to be that foundation. And then, yeah, publishers often help. So you've been involved with a lot of games. Like, one, what's one or two of your favorite projects? If you can imagine, when I started in this games industry, I sat down at a desk with my tie on. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that came across my desk was a game called Doom 2. And, wow. um, we had the distribution rights for it in Australia. And um, at that time, you know, Windows was was launching and I picked up the phone, called a retailer, and they, they said, oh, you know, can we bundle it with Windows? Can you give me 100,000 copies? And I'm like, okay. So, And then the second one was this new IP um, called Tomb Raider from uh, mm. a company called Eidos. And, you know, we just sort of kind of took delivery of it, went out to retail and, you know, Sold like hotcakes. Um, then there yeah. was another game called Command and Conquer, which came along from Virgin Interactive. <laughs> um, you know, and, and this is what it was like. You know, every time that you'd release something, it, wow. it was just huge. Um, you know, yeah. so it, it was a really kind of um, a strange time to work. Now, I mean, obviously things are they're very different because you know the barrier to entry is not there as it was back in the old days. And mm-hmm. um, it's interesting yeah. to sort of see the games industry how it's evolved. Um, you know, so it's it's really hard to sort of say what has been your favourite game to work on. I've got a few unfavorite games i have worked on <laughs> yeah yeah we all have those um, too like oh why did i do that, that yeah i mean there's been some real challenges out there that have sort of arrived on your desk and just kind of riffing off that while i'm thinking about that and even kind of ties into to horror I, I worked for blue bite in the later-ish 90s and i remember um quake was outlawed in germany and uh when i was flying over there the team would be like bring a copy 
get a box, get a copy, get a copy of the game, bring it over, bring it over because it was contraband in Germany. I come from Australia originally and there's still a lot of games that get banned there because of our, you know, crazy right. classification rules. But, um, but mm-hmm. speaking of classification of stupid things, I mean, you know, Doom 2, I actually manufactured 100,000 copies of Doom 2 and I forgot to put the classification label on it. Oh, wow. And so we had to hire, you know, and can you imagine this is my, this is the, my first week at Sega. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, we had to hire a whole army of people to sort of come into the warehouse and sit there and stick these stickers. And 100,000 copies. <laughs> 100,000 copies. What are you curious about right now in the industry? Uh, Google. <laughs> Google um, so, Stadia Google, you mean? Or what? Well, well, look, I think, you know, I, I can't help but be really interested in what's sort of happening here because, mm-hmm. I mean, merger and acquisition in the games business at the moment is rife. I mean, Microsoft for the last couple of years have been you know, really taking the gloves off to ensure that they are, you know, a 100-pound gorilla. Yeah. Um, and, and it's what's really interesting. I think everyone believed Google had the resources. Uh, all it needed was the will to take on, uh, to take on or, or carve itself out of a uh, position in the lounge rooms of the world. Yeah. But what I don't know what scared them away because they say they, they feel like it feels like to me that they sort of, um, yeah, really it could be too early, saw, I think. Yeah. Yeah. They, they saw something and went, you know, we're, we're not having, we're not sort of, we're not going to, you know, bloody ourselves in this fight. Yeah. And yet, you know, Microsoft's done the total opposite. Uh, so, yeah, you know, yeah. look, it's, I think we, we, we live in a really interesting time. And I think one of the challenges, so I think, you know, this is sort of kind of the opportunities and challenges in this business is mm-hmm. what happens. I mean, as this consolidation happens even more over the next few years, and it will uh, continue yeah. to happen, you know, what opportunities is that going to create for publishers and developers? And how can they sort of, you know, craft themselves or position themselves to take full advantage of what's going to happen? Um, and on the other side, that there's, you know, these sort of risks that, um, you know, games industry will end up like the other entertainment industries, like the film business, where mm. everything just consolidates into these big, big pipes that, you know, right. literally mm. it's very difficult to get access to. You're right. either on YouTube or Netflix or you're on HBO or somewhere else. Right, one of the um, platforms. Yeah, yeah it, it's, it's a very, I mean, it's a very, very difficult business to be in, to, um, mm. find your way. So, so I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of really interesting things happening at the moment. And, you know, again, why Fiademic have just decided to, you know, focus on one genre and one specific uh, our narrative in games it's really kind of believe we could create ourselves a niche uh within and so no matter what happens in the washing machine of the um the games business um that there's always going to be a place for fans of horror to find um you know good quality horror games as opposed to sort of trying to find them wherever they may be yeah the brand is affiliated with that and people know if you buy the Fear Demic game, I'm going to have a good experience, and it's going to be interesting. Well, they, they, they know what's been it's been curated in some sort of in yeah. Some form or yeah, that's a good point. Uh, the other thing that's sort of kind of a big challenge in the games industry that I'm really really curious about is I have not met a single person that enjoys having 15 different accounts to access <laughs> their um their you know, game libraries. Right. So, you know, this is not just a challenge in the games business. I mean, it's also a challenge in the movie, movie film business at the moment mm-hmm. uh, with all the streaming platforms and the streaming services. 
And, and I think there's an enormous opportunity there, but I, I don't know what the solution to it is. I wish I had. I'd be a gazillionaire. Yeah. Um, but if there was some way, all that could be consolidated. So I didn't have to have you know, multiple accounts with multiple platforms to access my library. So, I mean, the music industry has sort of solved it um, or not really solved it, or Spotify has essentially mm. become the 10,000-pound gorilla and, you know, just essentially sucked up all the content um, and yep. I said, this is how it's going to work. Everyone's going to have a Spotify account. And um, essentially, I, I don't think that that has really worked for the creators in music. Um, right. and, you know, they, they, they don't earn as much from that platform as, as perhaps they should. You're right. For artists, unless you're like ginormous, you're not getting any real money from it. And the challenge was it was a way to, to get ears and get people to, uh, to then go see the live show, right? That was kind of like one of the avenues but now that with covid that's changed although it's starting yeah. to come back here um but yeah the artists are getting kind of screwed um but then they they do invest lots of money in content they go pay that yahoo joe rogan millions of dollars and and all kinds of other things um yeah i mean it, it is it really is a sort of search search for the giants to sort of you know push the platforms but mm -hmm. uh, you know it's like game pass i mean you know is game pass a sustainable business model well i, I don't really know i mean there's been some murmurings from microsoft saying perhaps not we, we're gonna have to look at that uh look at the structure of that in the future because you know paying big sort of guarantees for you know these games that go on games pass is not necessarily you know the way that microsoft would perhaps like to do it they'd like yeah. to find another way that sort of represents the demand or the install of each particular game as opposed to you know just paying one lump sum for it yeah. exactly what's going to happen to the games business but mm -hmm. but it is super interesting and um i'm really curious to see you know how it sort of kind of works out um the chip shortages have really sort of yeah, uh, thro thrown a um thrown a lot a lot you know a fox into the hen, hen house if you like if mm -hmm. you like the analogy um because obviously hardware uh was always a big part of the sony microsoft plan and now it's kind of like well what happens if chips you know, the, the chip yeah. shortage continues for the next 12 to 13 months and right. we lose the momentum on the install base. So right. uh, it's all kind yeah. of really interesting. Yeah, and even the hardcore gamers that um, you know are always upgrading their, their video cards and, and pushing the edge with what they can do, um, they can't upgrade their hardware and maybe they're not going to play as many games because when you get a new video card, you're always excited to go and you're like, can I turn on all the settings and you know do all that kind of stuff? They're all in Bitcoin mines. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're all doing that. And, uh, so what are your thoughts on AR and VR? I was a big fan of VR several years ago. I certainly, you know, loved the, the idea. And I remember trying some at, um, you know, DICE and um, GDC four or five years back now. And it was just, you know, wow, mind-blowing stuff. Um, but it's been yeah. very sad to see that it's been very slow to be taken up by by end users. I think you know yeah. th th there's a lot of great applications for it in business. I mean, we were talking off uh, line earlier about medical applications for mm -hmm. VR and AR. You know, absolutely. You know, these are just fantastic platforms for that. But for entertainment and general home use, it, it sort of really hasn't found found its way. I mean, there's there's, there's some really yeah. interesting things out there. I mean, I you know we've been looking for VR games. Um, mm -hmm. So obviously, phas phasmophobia has been huge. We, we've been looking at that and thinking, well, maybe we can find something that's out there. And we found a couple of, um, you know, VR games, but you know, making VR games is pretty tricky. And, um, yeah. you know, I, I've sent 
our marketing guys out to play these games and they've come back and said, I was vomiting all the way home on the yeah. tram. You know? yeah. <laughs> frame rate, frame rate, well. frame rate. You <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so, you know, perhaps just not yet. And I thought, you know, like Minecraft AR might be sort of something that really sort of, you mm-hmm. know, changes everyone's perspective on it. But no, it really sort of kind of yeah. happened. I know, I know my kids were really excited about Minecraft AR and, you know, yeah. downloaded it and that was it. Yeah, and right. haven't touched it since. Yeah. Yeah. And the, um, the barriers of entry have always been so high, right? Like, so when the Quest came along, I got really excited just because of the price point, the fact that you don't have to have cameras set up and everything. But then there's that whole Facebook owning the data and that kind of weirdity and tying into an account that is off-putting, to be honest, because um, I, I really do find the platform interesting and I've played around with the SDK. And- yes, we, we will see. I mean, I'm, look, I'm sure there's a, there's a date in the future where a game comes along or some type of entertainment comes along and it's going to be a must-have. Mm-hmm. Um, what that entertainment is going to look like, I yeah. don't know. And when that when that point in the future is, um, I wish I knew, but uh, but I don't. Yeah. What about a funny or odd story from working in the industry? And I'm sure you've got a ton of them. I do recall going into a uh, a take two office in Singapore, mm-hmm. and they'd opened this office there, and um, they had at the beginning door handles shaped like. Uh, AK-47s, they had a big light in the meeting room um, that was shaped like an AK-47. And it's sort of like, okay. Wow. (laughs) You know, know, it's kind of like a a little bit too, yeah, yeah, I don't know. A little gratuitous Um, there. So so there was like a light in the background that was was shaped like an AK-47. No, the light over the boardroom table, the whole length of the boardroom table Table. was like shaped like an AK-47 and um, had like, you know, lighting inside it. So it was this big box shaped like an AK-47 with white uh, perspex underneath huh. it that shone, shone down. And, um, uh, and, and, and yeah, it was kind of like, it was kind of over the, a little bit over the top. And, yeah, and um, I have met the odd game executive kind of behaves like, uh, you know, the characters in the games. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, gangster, thugs, all that kind of, yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think we've all met, we've all met them. Yeah, I know uh, what you're talking about, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and, and I think, you know, it's, it's, it's odd because gamers are sort of kind of um, when they play games, it's very kill, kill or be killed. And yeah. I, I wonder sometimes how that translates into the way we do business with each other. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, that's, uh, I'm sure it has some sort of impact. Yeah. Is there any games you're playing right now that you're excited about? As I mentioned before, um, we've just signed a game called Dark Fracture. Now, yeah. um, Dark Fracture was a game, you could find it on Steam, actually. There's a, there's a prologue on Steam um, hmm. that was designed by um, one gentleman. It's an Unreal game, uh, Unreal Engine. Yeah. And he's done the demo and the vertical slice all by himself, and it's spectacular. Wow. So the downloads on the demo at the moment uh, is almost 230,000. Uh, a little past yeah. two hundred thirty thousand, and um, and he's got seven hundred thirty-five, I think, mostly positive or overwhelmingly positive uh, reviews. Hmm. Uh, it's a really, really great uh, game. The uh, obviously, I haven't played full through the whole game because it's not finished yet. Yeah, where's the developer based out of? Uh, Israel. Oh. Wow. So, um, so Israel has a very, very small game development community. Um, so uh, there's another game coming out of there this year called In Sound Mind and um, another uh, cool. a platformer called Grime, which is coming out of there, which looks pretty interesting. So um, mm-hmm. they do have, they do have um, like a, a game design school, game design college there, which is part of, um, uh, um, you know, the, the University of Technology. So th- yeah. there's a whole um, 
scene that's percolating out of that part of the world. So yeah, um, I, I've heard that from other people too. That it, there was nothing, and it's it's kind of grown and it's kind of blossomed more here in the last five years. And it makes sense too because there's so much tech developed uh, in Israel that yep. you have that tech foundation, and then people that want to you know use it for a different application and, and towards gaming. So no, that's 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 pretty cool. Yeah, so so if if you can check out Dark Fracture Prologue, and um, I, I think you'll be, be um, uh, equally as impressed. So, and the other thing that I've 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 seen lately that um, uh, that I'm really excited about mm-hmm. is you know Dead House Sonata, which is um, um, developed by a uh, studio in Canada, I think called Apocalypse, and okay. then that's um, headed up by Dennis Dyack. Um, we we mentioned earlier um, as when we were talking offline, Legacy of Pain yeah. um, maker. He's got some amazing technology that he's working on, and um, cool. you know, I'm really excited to see what they do with that because it's a really really bizarre concept huh. uh, uh, of a game where you know you kind of play the bad guys, uh, and it's a it's going to be a free to play open world. It, it, it's just going to be a mind blowing game. So really kind of excited about that. It's got nothing to do with Fear Demic, by the way. That's just kind of um, yeah. one that I've sort of come across in my travels. Uh, my team has played over a hundred games so far this year. Um, so and that hundred vertical slices and, yeah, and demos. So yeah. uh, you know we're sort of turning the world upside down all the time, looking for looking for new ideas and new stuff. And there's some really amazing stuff out there and a, a lot of um, clever ideas. So where can people find you online? Like website, Twitter, things like that. Fear, feardemic.com. Okay. Feardemic.com uh, or feardemicgames.com or feardemic.com. Doesn't matter. Both, if you go both you ways, you'll the get URLs. the same place. There you go. We've got yeah. all the URLs. Yeah. Uh, so um, that, is the, that is the best place to find us. Um, mm-hmm. You can find us, of course, on all the social media platforms and um, oddly, most recently on TikTok. And um, that's, mm. that's oddly being, it's our most successful or our fastest growing platform at the moment. Really? But um, that's a whole other discussion. Yeah. Uh, last question. Like, what's one piece of advice you would give others working in the industry right now? Um, be thankful that you're working in the games business, and uh, yeah. because it has really been a, a tough ride for a lot of people. And mm-hmm. um, you know, be generous with your time and, and support of those who who aren't as fortunate as uh, as we have been. Um, and I, I think that's kind of basically about it. Yeah. No, that is a very good perspective because yeah, we are. We are very fortunate to be in this industry and to be able to work remote. And um, I think sometimes people take it for granted and, and they don't realize how well we have it compared to all the other suffering and all the other people that have to do crazy stuff and, and deal with yeah. this uh, pandemic and everything. So, no, that's that's great advice. So thank you very much for your time. And, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I should perhaps preface the whole um, uh, uh, discussion with, you know, I am working at home, so sorry about the noise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's part of the times here, right? It's, it's like, yeah. 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 Thanks, Scott. I've uh, enjoyed having you on and having your perspective. Uh, thank you. Thank you for your time. Uh, I'm really, really pleased to be here, John. And, um, you know, anytime you want to talk, I'm always available. Cool. Thanks. Have a good night. Thanks for listening to this episode of Game Dev Advice, the Game Developers Podcast. Go to the website at gamedevadvice.com and you can find the show notes along with show notes for all the other episodes. Please also check out the new Patreon page at patreon.com backslash gamedevadvice. Have a lot of options up there for how you can support the show. Again, that's patreon.com backslash gamedevadvice. Thanks again for listening and being part of the show.
Take care. Bye bye. Can you not hit your keyboard so hard? Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.